Dear friends, I guess I'm going to try audio one more time. I'm in Estonia this week for the Open Government Partnership Summit, and I am tripping out over how much the world has changed since I first attended the event in Brazil back in 2012. Gilma Rousseff had just been elected president, and she celebrated budget transparency in her welcoming address, while Hillary Clinton followed with remarks about the importance of earning the trust of citizens. In my personal life, Edis and I just started living together in Mexico City, and days before my trip, we adopted Coco as a tiny little puppy. And in the newsletter version, there is an adorable photo, I think, of two-month-old Coco. Brazil at the time was emerging as the second biggest economy in the Western Hemisphere and was kind of becoming a global powerhouse. Their GDP more than doubled over the previous decade, and they were getting ready to host the World Cup in 2014 and the Olympics in 2016. It blows my mind that just three years after her comments about budget transparency, Rousseff was impeached precisely for violating budget laws. And then in 2016, Clinton lost the election to Trump, Lula was sent to prison for corruption, and by 2019, Bolsonaro became president of Brazil, until losing to Lula, who was no longer in prison. And now, apparently, Trump could be making a comeback. It's all way too wild to believe, and yet another reminder that life is stranger than fiction. Next section. Are men afraid of doctors, and what does it cost taxpayers? So, my health insurance expires at the end of October, just before we move back to Mexico, and I have gone all in on what I'm calling my 100,000-mile checkup, which includes getting my blood work done, a colorectal cancer screening, a prostate cancer screening, a coronary calcium scan to measure my risk of heart disease, a skin cancer screening by a dermatologist, and finally a DEXA scan to measure my bone density, visceral fat, and other things. Men are notorious for avoiding doctor visits and ignoring our health. In every country, women live longer and healthier lives. Worldwide, men aged 15 to 40 are three times as likely to die as women. In the United States, if you are a 34-year-old man, you have a 16% chance on average of dying from heart disease, cancer, diabetes, or lung disease before you turn 70. But if you're a woman of the same age, it's just 11%. And in the UK, new research has found that men are twice as likely to die from a heart attack, which prompted the UK government to plead with men to please get a grip on your lifestyle uh, and included blood pressure checkups at barbershops. How we choose to look after our health is personal, but the financial implications affect us all. For instance, 5% of Medicaid super users account for over half of the program's expenditures. And so, in an attempt to lower costs, doctors are now giving, given annual salary bonuses based on the percentage of their patients who take preventative screenings, including the kind of cancer screenings that I'm about to take. Next section, longevity coaches and the cancer screening debate. So that sounds like a good thing, right? Why not avoid the high cost of treating cancer by detecting it first? But as I prepared for my own cancer screenings, I discovered that it is actually a topic of raging debate, with a growing chorus of critics like Vinay Prasad, who argue that we ought to be doing less cancer screening in the United States. 
On the other side of the debate is Peter Atia, a longevity doctor and podcaster, who advises his clients to get screened for cancer every single year. Last week, I went for a hike with a friend who was diagnosed with colorectal cancer in 2020 at the age of 37. He had his entire colon removed and rather miraculously is now cancer-free and able to go on weeks-long backpacking trips. In fact, he's one of the most fit and energetic guys that I know. We talked about the Black Panther actor, Chadwick Boseman, who was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer when he was 39 and then passed away four years later. And we discussed our own approaches to cancer screening amidst a growing call of doing less of it. So here's my reasoning for why I did end up getting the test. Even if I do have cancer and the test failed to detect it, that isn't any different from me not taking the test at all. And in the case that I don't have cancer, but I receive a false positive from one of the tests, that will merely prompt another, more sensitive test to determine whether treatment makes sense. And as I read up on it, it seems like more frequently, it doesn't make sense to get cancer treated, or at least not when it's in early stages. I get that some people react to cancer diagnoses with exaggerated alarm, which leads to overly aggressive treatments that might cause more harm than they do good. But that's not me, and I'm glad that I have the freedom to choose what works for me. Next section, am I afraid of death? For whatever reason, I'm not afraid of doctors or dentists, but am I afraid of death? I've been thinking about this over the past couple of weeks as I prepared my first will, which included describing my vision for my funeral, and now await the results of my cancer screenings. Does all of this come down to me trying to control something, like when and how I die and what happens next, that is truly out of my control? After, after Steven Pinker published his book, Enlightenment Now, A Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress, he was asked by the New York Times journalist David Marchese about the least rational activities in his own life. Cycling was on top of the list. A lifetime avid cyclist, he asked himself, quote, given the value you put on your life and the fact that there's even a very small probability of getting killed, does it outweigh the pleasure and health benefits from continuing to ride? It's a question most cyclists ask ourselves. Last week, I wrote about the 0.3% chance that I will die in the next year. Of course, that statistic is on average for men my age in the United States. Our true individual risk is some combination of genetics, access to healthcare, and where and how we live. Insurance and healthcare companies are already using artificial intelligence to come up with personalized risk profiles for each unique person. Auto insurers offer lower premiums based on devices and cameras that monitor how people drive. And in Estonia, where I am this week, they use digital health records to make personalized recommendations based on risk profiles. In the next decade, I'm sure that we'll all have our own personalized reports about our unique likelihood of disease, injury, and death. And for me, I'm pretty sure that cycling will be on the top of my list. Are you sure that it's worth it? My artificial intelligence robot risk advisor will ask me, and I will say, absolutely. Why live long, after all, if I'm not having fun? That's it for this week. Uh, maybe some more thoughts on Estonia next week. I hope you're well, and thanks for listening.